Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Before we look at our subject, which is God provided to Abraham and Sarah, God provided Isaac, two or three things I want to mention to you. Several have asked about what we do here on Sunday night back in the chapel. We call it Sunday night seminar just because it sounds good. But what we're really doing is we're going through the Bible and helping people understand from the time of Adam and Eve clear through to the coming of Christ the primary events that if you get them in your mind, and they're not difficult, but if you get them in your mind on a timeline, you can understand the New Testament because the Old Testament, the Bible actually says in the third chapter of Galatians, that the Old Testament is a schoolmaster to help you to understand the new. The word schoolmaster there is a picture of a household slave that takes the children to school where they're educated and then brings them back home to keep them safe. <clears throat> so they, we're, we're, we're going through the Old Testament so that we'll have a real good handle when we're saying because we're a New Testament church. We're not bound by anything in the Old Testament that's not repeated in the New. So uh, otherwise, those of you who have tattoos, we'd have to take you up here and scrape them all off. And, you know, I might enjoy that. But anyway, it's, uh, it's, it can't be justified biblically. Uh, another thing or two, uh, Pat Abel has told us that he wants to come back home. He's been in the Carolinas with his son, but he just misses everybody. He misses participating in the life of the church. And so... He's going to try to get him a place, and Ralph is helping him over at Hillview, and then <clears throat> he'll be back here. So uh, Pat has Parkinson's disease and had some issues there that we, but we can help him with. So, but be praying for him as he makes the transition back, back here to home. He's been one of our trustees for X number of years. Um, <clears throat> Let's see here. Our kids, we've got X number of kids that went today. Uh, the ARC, in, in, it's down south of Cincinnati. You go to the town there in Grant County. It's called Williamstown, and the ARC is just right outside south of Williamstown. It opens at 1 o'clock on a Sunday. It's not open in the morning on a Sunday, so they're down there running around. And I think that's pretty much what I had in mind here ahead of time. People tell me things and don't write them down, then I forget them. But that, uh, when you're 85, you can do that, and, and you can't remember them saying, I'm mad, so it doesn't hurt anything. I made that up. That's supposed to be clever. Okay, we're looking here at Abraham. He's an interesting guy. His, work, his name originally was not Abraham, it was Abram. And the word Abram in Hebrew simply means father. So the, the Jewish people have always referred to Abraham as Father Abraham. It's redundant, but you, you'll see that even in Scripture. Abraham was a, uh, was a pagan who lived in the what's called the Ur of Chaldees, that's the Mesopotamian Valley. They Iraq, Iran, in that area there, the Tigris and the Euphrates River. Some way or another, God spoke to him and said, If you'll do what I ask you to do, I'll do two things. I'll give you a homeland of your own. And I will make you the father of many people, like the sand of the sea. Well, the problem with that was uh, Sarah, Abraham's wife, was sterile. She was incapable of bearing children. And even at that time, uh, when they first spoke to him, they, they were... They were not kids anymore, maybe 50, 60, whatever. Because later on, he, he, they left home. And God said, because you believed me and left home and 
take off toward where, and God said, and I'll show you where to go. I'll show you where I want you to go and how to get there. Now, exactly how he did that, I have no idea. Because the Bible, more often than not, God reveals himself to people in the Old Testament in particular, in the New Testament too, in the Gospels, in one of three ways. Sometimes, very few times, God shows up there himself. More often than not, he sends messengers. Now, the word angel that we have, more often than not in the Scripture, should probably be better translated messenger. God sent an angel with a message. And the word angel and messengers all the same. So I'm assuming, because I don't know, that that God either spoke to Abraham through a dream or through a, an angel. Now, with an angel that opens a, a messenger, that opens a subject of what kind of a messenger. There can be the messenger that comes from heaven. These are the hosts of heaven. You'll read that in Scripture, both uh, even in the book of Revelation. Angels in heaven, Michael the archangel, so on and so are really the soldiers, are really God's soldiers. That's exactly what it means. And for some reason or other that I haven't figured out, I have an idea, but I'm not certain. Whenever one of those characters shows up, it's a scary situation. Because invariably, in, this is almost without exception, when one of the heavenly angels shows up, and confront somebody, the first thing that he says to that person is, now don't be afraid. So there's something about the heavenly angels that invokes fear. I'm inclined to think that's the way God initially approached Abraham, or Abram at that time, who was more pagan than anything. He was, he was just, but he believed God. He believed that message that God sent him. And he left home, traveled a good few hundred miles, stopped there. His daddy died, Tara died, and they, they buried him. But that's one kind of an angel. A second kind of an angel is a person, a human being, that God has given the message to, to send to somebody. That person that God gives the message to and sends to somebody else with that message is referred to as an angel in Scripture. And then there are many instances, even Abraham, Jacob in particular, and, and many others, where God speaks to them through a dream. Now, we don't do much with dreams anymore, even though we would probably be wise to, to do it because I'm convinced that God still speaks to us at times. In fact, how would, you, how would you handle if God were to send a messenger to you today with a message, how would, what would be your response? I'm inclined to think that in our culture, most would think, you know, because a friend, Dr. Williams, who helped start the church here, he's dead now, Harlan Williams, he had a heart attack, was laying over to the hospital. After he got better and came back home, he told me, he said, something interesting happened. And here's a doctor talking. He said, I was lying there. He said, even though they had given me some medicine that can cause hallucinations, he said, I thought it was fairly rational. And, I, and he said, I had, a, I had this vision of being in heaven and he went ahead and explained that to me. But he said, I don't know whether it was a medication. I don't know whether it was God. I, I, I don't know. But he said, it, it's a life-changing experience. But how would you handle that? Because believe it or not, sooner or later you're going to have to. The Bible teaches that sooner or later on God's timing, something's going to happen. And when that happens... Every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess. And we're talking about both believers and unbelievers. 
The time will come because when we come into the presence of God and the hosts of heaven, the angels of God, and some of the things that Scripture teaches that they did are earth-shaking. 180,000 people at one time wiped out overnight. Hard to believe. These are the hosts of heaven who have unbelievable power. All of us, at one time or another, the Bible is abundantly clear, we will die. Now, all of us know that. We're willing to accept that. But beyond that, we're told that the day will come when we will, just like Abraham, even better Moses. In particular, Adam and Eve. In Adam and Eve in the garden, then we'll get to Moses. Adam and Eve in the garden. It said in the cool of the day that God would come and they could hear him coming. Now, I'm inclined to believe that's the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the the Spirit and wind is all the same word. And so I'm inclined to believe that they could hear the breeze blowing, and they knew that's the way God came on the scene. If that's the case, then that was the Holy Spirit. Because you remember that when God first created everything, it was chaos. And then the, the Spirit of God hovered over the creation and brought out of that chaos brought the cosmos and all of its magnitude, and it's something. We haven't learned yet the magnitude of God's creation. We're learning, new telescope, but we still haven't learned to it. But in the, in the cool of the day, God would come and, and, and in some way, and I'm, I'm convinced it was through the Holy Spirit, not God the Father. And then when Moses was on Mount Horeb, Mount Horeb is a, a single peak on the Sinai Mountains. They're in, in, the, in the southern south of, of today's Palestine, Israel. Moses went up into the mountains to get the Ten Commandments. And while he was there, God came face to face. But he hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and covered it with his hand because he said, no man in the flesh can see God and live. Well, that that gives you a reason to say, well, it might just be a little frightening to come into the presence of God. I'd, I'd, I'd rather somebody showed up as a messenger. Now, I don't know whether you've ever had that experience or not, but I'm getting ready to tell you something that you probably will walk away saying, well, he's been smoking dope. But back many years ago, when I first came to Portsmouth, I was the pastor of Central Church of Christ for uh, almost four years. And they'd had a little stink there, and, and, and I was tired, and I just wanted to quit and go hide in a cave somewhere and let the rest of the world go by. Joyce Fields was my secretary, and she sat outside the office, and one day she walked into the office, and she said, Scott, there's a strange-looking fellow here, and he said he wants to talk to you. I said, okay. And now that wasn't unusual because where Central Church of Christ is located there on 52, we often had uh, transits come by wanting uh, something to eat or whatever. And we would usually send them over to Patsy's. Patsy would feed them and send us the bill. That was the arrangement we had. Well, this guy walked into the office. And, and the reason Joyce thought he was strange, he was dressed just like anybody else, uh, kind of like I am maybe with blue jeans on. I don't remember. He walked in, and I said, well, and, and he came down two or three steps into the office, took two or three steps, told me I was sitting behind the desk. And I said, can I help you, sir? And he said, no, I came to help you. Oh, really? And so he reached in his pocket and he pulled out a little New Testament. I don't know whether you've ever had one of the little Gideon New Testaments or not. It was just that size, turned it open and began to read. Now, I'm not going to tell you what he said and I'm not going to tell you what he read. But his physical appearance, as to any other human being except on his over his left eye there was an indentation in his forehead that you could that was probably that deep ran all the way from the back all the way to the front 
Other than that, he would just be a normal human being in appearance. But that, that was sufficient. That, that the physical problem there was sufficient, you know, that it couldn't, you couldn't help but notice. And so <clears throat> he finished reading the scripture, and then he brought me a message. And, he, and I said, well, well, thank you. He was really nice. Well, thank you. And he said, well, I'll be excused. Walked up the steps, out the door. And I was kind of sitting there with my mouth hanging open. And I said, Joyce, go get that guy. So she would go up outside. He's nowhere to be found. Now, he was either really fast or there was something going on there. I believed and still do believe that it was something going on there. And I, I suspect, no, I, I, it's more than, I can, I can testify that I probably wouldn't be standing here today if that hadn't happened. I still believe based on that, and I would have been very skeptical of something like that beforehand, because I'm kind of a skeptic of, of that kind of stuff if there's not something that you can hang your hat on. But something like that happened to Abraham. And the Bible says that, that he believed that messenger. He believed God's word. And as a result of that, God said, I pronounce you to be righteous because of faith. Because you see, there's two kinds of faith. There is simple belief, and then there is obedient faith. The devil has simple belief. A lot of our world has simple belief. But saving faith is obedient faith. Abraham not only believed God, he acted on it. And he left home and took off not knowing where he was going, only he would be told when he got there. Now, Abraham had a lot of flaws. He wasn't like you and me. He hadn't reached that state of perfection yet. I'm just trying to see if you're at home. You know, he, uh, he was a fearful person by nature. He, he was easily frightened. And I'll show you why in a, in a little bit. But he believed God, and with all of his flaws, he acted. And James comments on this kind of stuff, and so does the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. James says concerning faith... The difference between simple belief and the word belief and the word faith are the same Greek word. The context determines which one you use in the, in the scriptures. And in this particular case, James says, faith that you can observe by works, faith that doesn't produce works is only simple belief and doesn't bring you and, and cannot be used to pronounce you righteous. It is the, the faith that produces action. James says, you know, you can tell me your faith or you can show me your faith. And the only one that counts is number two. You've got to show me your faith. Talk in itself won't cut it. So Abraham qualified by being obedient to what God asked him to do. Saving faith is that which produces within us the desire to carry out what God reveals to us is His will, whatever it happens to be. That's saving faith. We need to keep that clear in our mind because if we're not careful, we get the idea that simple believing the facts is obedient faith, and it isn't. Satan believes everything about God, knows it to be true. And yet he's an ornery, no good so-and-so. So you have to see the difference. Abraham was told, I'll take you to the place where you don't know you're going, and I will do something else that was a problem. I will make you the father of many nations. Now here's an old guy, and his sexual desires are, are waning away, and uh, he's married to an older woman. Now, believe it or not, got another tale to tell you about an older woman. My first wife and I were, 
I was, we were, I was still in school at Vanderbilt, working on a Master of Theology. That's a three-year program. And I had a little church in Nebo, Kentucky. That's in Madison, down outside of Madisonville, about nine miles. We already had one young and Greg, and she was pregnant with number two, Brian. <clears throat> well, the time came when she, we took her to the hospital up, at, up in Madisonville, and all of our kids started off by getting even. It was sometime during the night she delivered, and uh, Brian. And in the hospital at the same time, there was a woman who was between 55 and 60 years old. She had a baby. Baby weighed 14 pounds. Was about yay long and the prettiest thing you ever saw in your life. It looked like the dolls that we used to have as kids, you know, with the, it wasn't glass heads, but it's some kind of a, a head that had been painted up real pretty. Here's this laying there. And everybody who went to look at the babies, you know, when you look through the window to look at the babies, that, that kid got all the attention. Brian, poor little Brian was there, but he, he looked like an albino prune. <laughs> and, and this little baby was a thing of absolute perfection. I got home about 6 o'clock in the morning the next day, stopped at, at H.E. Barron's uh, filling station, they had a little pool room filling station, stopped there for a cup of coffee and whatever. I went in to see H.E. to pay him. H.E. said, is the baby here? I said, yeah, the baby's here. What is it? It's a boy. Well, he said, what did you name him? He said, we, we named him Brian Scott. He said, well, that makes sense. See, the, my oldest boy's name was Gregory D. He said, if you got one with the initials of GD, you might as well have one with BS. I guarantee you that neither Alice Kay or I, or I had given that any consideration <laughs> when the time came, and I left it up to Aitchie to call that to our attention. He was an interesting guy. So there are those things that happen that are most unusual, and those unusual events are in Scripture are usually those where God has stuck His finger into reality to get the attention of somebody to get something done that he wants done. Abraham was told by messengers from God, three of them showed up, here's what's going to happen. You remember the promise I made you when you left home? I promised you that you would be the father of many nations, and they had no children. And she couldn't bear children, Sarah. I promised you that you would have a land of your own. Well, you're in that land. This is where you're going to be. This is the land I promised. This is the promised land. Israel still referred to as the promised land. The other part of the promise was I'm going to you're going to have a baby. Sarah's going to have a baby in her old age. When Sarah heard this, she heard the conversation between the visitors that God has sent and her husband, and she got the giggles. How the heck is this going to happen? And, uh, and that ended up influencing how they named the child when he was finally born. His name was Isaac. He was called the, the child of promise, just like the land that was theirs was the promised land. Isaac was, well, what was the promise? Because there was more to it than just she's going to have a baby. Because through this baby, the people of the earth will be blessed. You see what God was doing all of that time when he called Abraham. After the flood was over and God had kind of cleaned up things. He said, we're going to start over. And the end result of what I'm doing now is that the Messiah will come. He was in the process of creating a people in an unusual way that would get people's attention through whom the Messiah would come. And that Messiah would make possible 
for anybody who trusted him and his word to ultimately end up in the presence of God. Even though that might be scary, that's exactly the, what the book of Revelation 21st chapter says is going to happen. That God will clean up the earth, will cleanse the earth by fire. Those who are in heaven will come here and repopulate the earth, re live here, and he will dwell among us as our God. And what was happening here with the promise of Abraham for that land and, and that child was the initial step in bringing the Messiah. You must understand this when you, when you read. God wasn't just having fun pulling off clever tricks. He had what is called the plan of salvation in mind at the time he was doing his will. So, it's kind of necessary to go through all of this stuff, I think. What I'm telling you is that if you ever were to meet a messenger of God with a message for you, be really careful how you negotiate the things because I don't think it's possible to win an argument with God. I think we're a whole lot better off to say, yes, sir, boss. Whatever you say, that's what I'm going to do, whether I want to or not. I heard a story. I went to the doctor Friday to, for my eyeballs. By the way, they turned out. I'm 20-20 I'm now. Vision, sure, you know. If the light's good enough to be able to see, it's 20-20. Anyway, the doctor, Dr. Schott, you remember old Marge Schott? This is her nephew. He's uh, an ophthalmologist in Cincinnati, and my daughter Amy works there for him. Anyway, he, he looked at my eyeballs and told me what good shape they were in and all that kind of good stuff. And he said, and he, and he told me a joke. Because we'd been talking about, because he's a Christian man, we were talking about how God does some things. And he said, this guy was talking to God. It was a conversation between God and, and this guy. And the guy said, you know, there's some questions here when I read the Bible that I have difficulty understanding. He said, for instance, if I handed you, God, a thousand dollars, what would it mean to you? Ah, he said, maybe one cent. Okay. Because of the value system, heck, heaven, the streets are gold, you know. Gates of pearl. He said, okay. And he said, and this thing, this time thing, he said, uh, what does a thousand years mean to you, God? He said, uh, maybe a minute. The guy sat there a little minute in the presence of God and said, God, things have been tough for me. Is there any possibility that you would loan me a penny? And God said, in just a minute. <laughs> I, I, I just don't think that we're in a position to negotiate with God and come out on top. I think, generally speaking, we better say, yes, sir, and let it go at that. Like I told you, Abraham had flaws. He wasn't perfect. He was just an ordinary old guy. And, and at least two times, and the scripture's clear about this, at least two times he did something that I don't think any of us would do. One time he was in Egypt with his herds and stuff, and the Pharaoh, his wife Sarah must have really been a looker, you know. I always, I, and I still do, I, I always thought Alice Kay was really a looker. She had a classy chassis, and they had, uh, they had a good business, and they drove a big Buick. I thought I was really getting in on a deal. I found out they just had good credit. But we, anyway, the reason I say that was Pharaoh looked at her and said, holy cow, this woman would qualify for my harem. 
And, and Abraham, was a play, when he saw the power of Pharaoh, was frightened. And so he said, well, uh, she's just my sister. You can have her. Now, I got a sneaking suspicion that any of us who made, were frightened and made that deal would probably live to regret it. But that didn't happen once. It happened twice. There's Abimelech, a guy who was a Canaanite, and, and he saw her, Sarah, and he said, you know, and Abraham said, you know, D -d -d I, I, I want to have my crops here. I, don't, I want a piece at any price. She, you can have her. She's just my sister. Well, she really was his stepsister. And he said, so I wasn't lying. I was close. But he did that twice. And the scripture makes that very clear in the, in the story here of Abraham. <coughs> Excuse me. I thought I had that whip. So what, the message here is this. God doesn't look for perfect people. He looks for people who will take his word seriously and do what he asked them to do. It's really that simple. I have people say to me occasionally, well, I'm just not good enough. You're right. You're not. And you're never going to be. But are you willing, are you willing to do simply what God has asked you to do because that's obedient faith and if you have obedient faith God pronounces you righteous and puts you on the same level as his only begotten son as far as judgment is concerned that's not a bad deal and Abraham fell into that category with all of his flaws easily frightened kind of a wimp when it came to taking care of his loved ones so, I, I think, you know, if you fall into that category, give it some thought. I really have a real sympathy for, for Sarah in, in the situation where she was because she not only had her husband use her as a tool, but she had a personal problem that was really serious. You see, in that culture... A woman viewed her value by her capacity to bear a child. She considered God was mad at her, or I'm not worse much. And here's Sarah, you know, getting in her upper years and hadn't been able to have a child. Now, you, you may think that that's unusual, but among developing nations, that's still true today. If you were to spend some time with me, and Alice Kay in Uganda, you would find out in that developing nation, that's exactly how women view themselves. If they can't have a baby, they're the less than of value. One of the young women that Alice Kay, when she graduated, when she came out of the school at Destiny's uh, Children of Hope, uh, uh, where we have built a baby rescue thing and so on and so forth there, there's a picture of Bev and Alice Kay in, in that building that we built. This little girl graduated from college and then uh, from high school and and really a good student. So Alice Kay used her funds to send her through a three-year college program to become an accountant. Good grades, so on and so forth. But the longing to be somebody, and she up and got herself pregnant, has a little baby. Now we're helping take care of that. But in that culture, you have to cut people a little more slack than we should here. Because they still have that concept of my value as a woman is only confirmed if I can bear children. Sarah was in that because that culture was essentially pagan. And most of the culture in developing nations is essentially pagan. Sarah fell into that category. But women need to understand, and I hope you do here in the U.S., even though our behavior kind of argues with it at times, need to understand that in the eyes of God, men, women, and children are all equal. 
exactly of equal value. Because I think I can say this without fear of contradiction, that if you are a woman and you were the only woman that was ever born, in, ever created and put in this world and you had sinned, Christ still would have died for you and gone to the cross. Your value in the eyes of God. You see, if we could get this concept clear that all human beings, and if we would act on it, all of these problems, even with the black and white things that the politicians stir to create anger between black and white, evil stuff they're doing. There is no difference. As Charlie Pride used to say, the old hillbilly singer, he's the one that sang the song, you remember, Kiss an Angel, Good Morning? Love her like the devil when you get back home. Charlie Pride for a long time was a popular singer on the radio but nobody had ever seen because he was black big great big guy with uh, he was the first professional baseball player I mean really an impressive he never spoke of himself as being black by the way he always called himself endowed with uh, with a little more pigmentation than other people had not a bad way to say it. But Charlie Pride had a friend, had two friends, really. One was a radio announcer in Nashville who kept playing his records, even though no one in the public had ever seen him. And then there was a, a white guy who was really popular, hillbilly singer, who went to him one day and he said, Charlie, this has got to stop. I've got a... Uh, a gig in Detroit, and if you'll go with me, I'll introduce you to the audience. And so he, I, I don't remember who it was, Farron Young, I don't remember who it was. I tried to look it up and I, and I didn't. But anyway, the time came when uh, The singer, the white singer said, folks, I have a special thing for you tonight. One of the greatest singers in the history of country music. I'd like to introduce to you Charlie Pryor. This big black guy walked out on the platform and he simply said, folks, I am Charlie Pryor and I'd like to entertain you for a few minutes. And when he finished, that whole auditorium as one stood and cheered. Now that happened because Charlie had a friend who couldn't see color. He just saw a friend and helped him to overcome the prejudice of our culture. I'm inclined to believe that that's the key to solving the racial problem. I don't think it'll be done with legislation, even though sometimes it's necessary. I think it'll be done when we say, okay, let's fix this thing. And on an individual basis, do whatever we can. Years ago, now, when Rob Portman first came into office, he's retiring this year. He's a, he was a friend. And I fussed at him. I said, you Republican guys are wrong. You're ignoring black people. You're assuming that something that's wrong. So I said, you need to come here. And, and on the Martin Luther King Day, he went with us and introduced himself and spoke for a little bit. And while we were there, he said, are you all doing anything for the presidential prayer breakfast? And, I, you know, what do you say? No, I'm busy. I can't go. He said, no. He said, well, won't you and Ralph come? And we did. And we were sitting in this big, I, I, was, and I remember Condoleezza Rice did the talking. Anyway, we were sitting there in this round table with about eight or ten people at the table. And Portman, some way or another, found us in that crowd. And that sucker came over and sat down and pulled up a chair right next to me and then turned his back to me and talked to Ralph all the time we were there. And I said, uh, and some lady across the table from Texas, 
And she said, Mister, what do you do? I said, I, d I carry this guy's bags. And <laughs> well, the reason I tell you that is I believe that we're in a position when we see I see, I, I see these really rich basketball players, baseball players, and they could, if they don't just throw money at something, go find a young man or a young woman or two and, and get to know them and help them, just like we did with Patrick and Eddie. Do it in our own country, and we can overcome this problem. And all we'll do is kind of laugh about somebody having a little more pigmentation than the other guy. Because you see, when we see it from God's point of view, that we're all exactly of the same value. And God is not a respecter of persons. He loves us all on an equal basis. But, to where, but the Bible says, here's the way you love each other. You bear each other's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ, which is love. In the Old Testament here, when, when Isaac came time for him to get married, same thing to true with Jacob we'll get to later, God said, don't you marry. Now listen to this, because this is the word of God. When you marry, don't marry one of these Canaanite women who believe in, in a God other than me. So you go back and, 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 to, and find someone who believes that, like you do, that I am the God and the only God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. So he did. He married this woman. Jacob did the same thing. He had to go all about back to Laban and marry Rachel. He, he got conned, ended up first of all with Leah, and then, then he negotiated Rachel. Poor guy. Two sisters. Sheesh, can you imagine? I thank God every day that I didn't end up with Al's case sister. But the point is made in the New Testament when it says to you who are believers, be ye not unequally yoked together, believer with unbeliever. Now listen to it. This is the word of God to believers. In our culture, we say, we, you know, as I told you earlier, the good thing about Alice Kay at the time is they did attend church. She was an organist. Believe it or not, she can play the organ. She won't, doesn't like to admit that. But she was the organist in the church there in, in, in uh, Grayson. But that wasn't what impressed me. Lots of people can play the organ. But you can't find many people walking down the street with very little on, pitching this thing up in the air and stretching it, you know, catching it and whirling it and all that kind of stuff with a classy chassis, and they drive a big car, and they got a house that's paid for, and I can get in on this. Hey, most young men in our culture are motivated by sexual desire and what we see. And the Bible says that can be a big problem. Having a classy chassis and all that other stuff is fine if they are believers in Jesus Christ. So it says what? Be ye not unequally yoked together, believer with unbeliever. That's what the New Testament says. One of the real reasons why the marriage thing in our country is in such miserable condition is because we have a tendency to obey the things in Scripture that we like and to ignore those that we don't. And we better take seriously we better be like Abraham and do what God asks us to do, even though at the time we may not be able to see. Alice Kay and I were driving. I, 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 I had been to India a time or two by myself. They'd gone up to Agra. Agra is where they have the, uh, the prettiest burial place on the face of the earth. When you first go through these big doors, it's an army barracks, and, and look at the Taj Mahal, you'll, you'll lose your breath. 
if the sun is shining, it's that impressive. So I want to come back. I wanted to take her and show her how I was going to bury her. And uh, anyway, she and I had some time to kill, so we rented a, a car in New Delhi to drive around and see the sights. And this young man driving us around. So I, I like to strike up conversations with local. He was, his English was excellent. And I asked him, I said, young man, are you married? He said, oh, yes. Have children, yes, two or three kids. Curious about something. Did you, was your marriage arranged by your parents? Or did you fall in love with this girl or whatever? He said, oh, no, 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 no. Marriage is too important for young people who, who are not wise yet. Our parents arranged it for us. I said, and you're happy with that? He said, well, we've been married for 10 years or whatever it was, and we'd do it again. And we have the idea that you have to get goosebumps, you know, and all that kind of stuff to make a marriage work. The goosebumps soon go away anyway, first time you have a fight. And you all do. We all do. I point this out to you simply to say there, there are ways of doing this that, that we haven't pursued. We just kind of turn them loose and let them go without saying, hey, look, this is too important just to be frivolous about it. Oh, you can always get a divorce. You could die, 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 die. We better take this seriously. Why do I say this? Because God said that was the case with Isaac. God said that was the case with Jacob. And he says, that's the case with you and me. And we, I'll bet you that without many exceptions, all of us have, made a problem, have created a problem here. That's why the divorce is clear through the roof and so on. We haven't handled this very well. And we as Christians need to know that we're being watched. See, Isaac, when he grew up and Abraham and Sarah died and Isaac became a really rich guy. I says not wealthy, very wealthy. Because in that culture, you viewed your God as how well you were blessed financially. Now, some of the churches do that here in the USA today, and it's not, that's an Old Testament thing. The New Testament thing is, are you holy or not? The Old Testament thing is, my God is better than you pagan gods because look what he's doing for us. He's blessed us with wealth and da-da-da-da-da, far greater than the pagan gods. We need to understand here that what God wants for you and me as people who say we're Christians is he wants us to be holy. Now, the problem with that term is that it has a negative connotation in our culture. Girls see, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to start wearing a dress that covers my ankles. I'm going to have to have one that goes up to my neck. I'm going to have to have hair piled on my head that's, up, that's piled up there big enough for an eagle to roost. And so that negative connotation. But the Bible doesn't give that negative connotation. It's, it's the churches that's created that. Holiness in the Bible simply means that your living is so different. It means the word hagiadzo, the verb form uh, 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 that's translated holy, to be holy means to be set apart, to be noticeably different, noticeably different in how we treat each other, black, white, men, women, children who respect their parents, all of this respect stuff has gone to hell in a handcart in my lifetime. In my lifetime. When I was this high, if I called somebody that was an adult by their first name, I would have been, when I got, Daddy would never criticize you in public, but when I got in the car, he would say, and he never lifted his voice, he didn't have to, I thought I taught you better. What do you mean? You didn't say Mr. You didn't say Mrs. You didn't say Miss to your teacher. Those terms of respect have all gone away with now. And it's to our detriment, folks, that it's happened. 
We need to respect each other. We need to love each other. Love means in the Bible, not some warm, fuzzy feeling. It means I'm willing to do for the person that I love what needs to be done, if it, even if it causes me to sacrifice. You see, for God to love the world, what does that mean? It meant that he sent his son to die on a cross. He, he stepped down from the glory of heaven, become a man, and died on a cross. What? We needed it, but it cost him his life. And we need to understand something, too. I got just a few minutes here. That like Abraham, our faith will be tested. Life isn't supposed to be a bowl of cherries. The darker the night, the brighter the light. See what God did in the Old Testament and still will do, I think, is if we as a culture do not do what he asks us to do, he will take our worst enemy to overcome us. Can you, can you imagine this now for a little bit? Can you imagine life here in this South County, Ohio, if our country were completely controlled by China? They're our primary enemy on the face of the earth. Russia's not. They just make a lot of racket. The Chinese are powerful. Because when the Bible teaches that God has said enough is enough, the northern kingdom of Israel were overcome by the Assyrians who were the nastiest people on the face of the earth. When Judah, southern kingdom, became awful and were worshiping Baals and turned their back on God, he brought Babylon in, the nastiest people on the face of the earth. Are we tinkering around with testing God and saying, and he, when he's going to say, hey, enough is enough. Don't, don't believe that it isn't possible for disobedient, disrespectful people to be overcome by the worst enemy we have. What can be done about it? It has to start with you and me. We can't say, oh, the politicians, ah, Washington, you know, that, that bunch in the swamp. We forget them. It has to start with us where we are. What can we do? We can start by loving each other. Right here. Bearing each other's burdens. Caring about each other. To the extent that the world will look and see, those people take care of each other. I get calls probably a couple of weeks saying, I'm at the motel, no-tail motel, and, and, and I don't have any more money. Would you pay for the hotel or give me a bus? bill?" And I say, look, folks, here's the way it is. We take care of each other at our church, and if there's anything left over, we can use it for that. But if there's anything left... It's, we take care of our own first. We need to get that straight in our mind because the world is watching us. You're being watched by your neighbor, by your children, by people who don't like you. You're being watched. And, and our responsibility as holy people, which means we have been set apart by God to show the people who are watching who God is. That we worship. That's why we're here. That's why we were saved. So we need to learn to take care of each other, to encourage each other, to pray for each other. And it should have nothing to do with anything except we're brothers, we're one in Jesus Christ. There is no black, white man, woman in the kingdom of God. Are just people that Jesus died for. That's it. Jesus described it this way, and I know I'll quit. I could do the thing on, on Abraham and his test there, but I don't have time for that. Well, maybe I better. 
your faith will be tested just like Abraham. Abraham, now you've got to understand, he was primarily a pagan. God said, I want you to take this boy, a promise that I gave you, and let's say that he's probably 14 years old. And I want you to take him up on the mountain that I, I pointed out to you, and I want you to sacrifice him there. Now, don't let that blow your mind, because in that culture, people sacrificed children to pagan gods all the time. That, that was routine. And, pay, and, and, and Abraham at that time was more pagan than he was anything else. So he takes him up there, and the boy's talking to him. He said, hey, Dad, where, where's, where's the thing we're going to sacrifice? Because he didn't tell his boy that he was it. Well, they get up there, and, and he gets ready to offer the sacrifice, and, and the Lord said, hey, there's a ram over there in the bushes caught by his horns. Why don't you use him instead of your boy? Now, we look at that, and that's a nice story. But see, what we don't see, if you, don't really, if you aren't really tuned in, is God is using that story to explain to you what's going to take place when the Messiah comes. These are all related. Because what happened? He gave a ram over here as a substitute for Isaac. That introduces the whole concept of a substitutionary atonement. It's what took place on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he actually took our place because we had sinned and come short of the glory of God. We were destined to go to the cross. Jesus took our place. He was the substitute for us. And God accepted that as payment for our sins. That's, that's called in theology a substitutionary atonement. Our sins had been atoned for for what Jesus did on the cross. And Abraham, with his son Isaac, God was introducing that subject there in the Old Testament. And the world was influenced by that. The pagan world was. And your behavior and mine, listen to me carefully, it can be a tremendous influence, especially in difficult times, on the world that's watching. I have a next-door neighbor. From, he's from France. I call him Frenchy. It's a whole lot easier than pronouncing a French name. So Frenchy and I are friends, and we've been talking about churches. He said, ah, churches, they're all a scam. Now, he'd be serious. I said, well, there's some of them are. Yeah, yeah, some of them are. But if you'll save up all that money you got, Instead of buying fancy cars and go with me to Uganda, uh, we'll show you one that ain't a scam. And uh, haven't, haven't pulled that off yet. Frenchie will show up here one of these days. I, honestly, he will. And when he does, I want y'all just hug him and kiss him and carry him. He is a good, he's, well, he's kind of weird looking with. He's got one of these haircuts that's absolutely nauseating to look at. Pretty nice guy. But you see, what that, that whole thing came about because he was watching us. He watches the way I treat Alice Kay. That's the luckiest woman in South County, Southern Ohio probably. But he, he watches that very carefully. Jesus said, that's the way it's supposed to work. A city sitting on a hill with the lights on can't be hidden. And he said, you're that city. You're it. So let your light so shine among men that others may see you good works, how you treat each other. The result will be, and they'll glorify God. That's how people are brought to Christ. It's not just through the preaching of the Word. That's after we get them here. But getting them here is a result of what they see in you and me. And if we become lights in the darkness of our culture, people will come saying, let's check this out. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And I hope you help us, Father, understand what you're trying to tell us here. How influential we can be if we allow ourselves to be set apart by you for the purpose of letting people know who you are 
by the way we treat each other. We ask for your continued blessing and help us to understand your message that, and give us the strength to be obedient regardless of the circumstances. For we ask it and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're free to go. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.